Welcome to It Just Takes One. One person, one idea, one moment can change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. It just takes one person to care about another person to really change their life. Where is my gratitude for what this body has been through and is still here for me, still supporting me? One in three women in the United States is experiencing something that they may not even recognize is anything significant. More importantly, they may not realize it's something that can be improved. It's the classic look at the woman on your right and the one on your left, and one of you is having this problem. You know what that equates with in terms of numbers? More than 52 million women. That's right. More than 52 million women in this country experience this problem, and many don't even know it is something that could be helped. And that's just the women, because this is not something that is exclusive to women. Men experience it too. Do you know what I'm talking about? Pelvic floor dysfunction. That's right. More than 52 million women and men suffer with pelvic floor dysfunction. Some of them have very severe symptoms. Others have milder symptoms. And some don't even know that what they're experiencing is a symptom. In this episode, my friend Jen Lormand addresses this issue. She describes what pelvic floor dysfunction is, explains the symptoms, and talks about some of the things she is doing to help women and men improve their lives. Jen and I have been friends for a long time, and I love this conversation that we recorded. Although we start off talking about this issue of pelvic floor dysfunction, we move on to other topics that have to do with being women, owning businesses, and being friends. We talk about what it means to be a mom, to work full-time, and how to keep all the plates spinning in our lives. Toward the end, Jen says that it takes just one person to care in order to make a difference in someone's life. Jen cares. She cares deeply. And because of that, she is impacting the lives of women and men all over this country. As you listen, I know that she is going to impact you as well. So sit back and enjoy our conversation as Jen Mormond shares her story. Hi, Jen. Welcome to It Just Takes One. Hi, Cal. It's so nice to have you on. I, I love interviewing people that are people I've known for a long time and, and getting to share your story with everyone. For those who are listening, just let me introduce Jen. Jen is the owner of Ascension Fitness in New Orleans, New Louisiana. She's also a platinum level coach for the Todrick and Mastermind Group. Jen and I have been friends for gosh, almost, almost 10 years now. And she and I met through the Todd Durkin Mastermind Group, and we now both coach in that group. So we have been together as we've built our businesses and built our families and have gone through all the changes that can happen in almost a decade of friendship. 
So I'm, I'm so happy to have you on the show and to share some of your experiences and some of your, your lessons learned with my audience. Thank you so much, Kel. I really appreciate the opportunity and honor to be here today. I want to get into some of the things that you're doing in your business and some of the passions that you have, some of the special projects you're working on. But let's start really back more toward the beginning and just give the audience a little bit of your history, how you came to be a fitness professional, how you found yourself owning a fitness business, and and some of those steps that have led you to where you are today. So let's go back to that moment when you knew you were going to become a fitness professional. Hmm. That's a great question. When I started college, I had a big passion for dance. And I, I wanted to be a dance major, which, of course, my parents were thrilled about and were like, uh, no. <laughs> Realized that that probably wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. Um, I've always had a love of science and been fascinated by science. And um, basically moved towards exercise physiology. The technical title of that changed a couple times, but once I started into the curriculum, really fell in love. And through the program here at UNO, I had the opportunity of doing some practicums and getting some experience while I was in school in some different facets of fitness. So I did one in corporate fitness, did one in kids fitness, which then opened the door for me to have a job opportunity while I finished my degree as becoming a group ex-instructor and um, trainer, which I have been doing for 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It feels like that time goes by so quickly, but when you really calculate 22 years is an extensive amount of time to be doing something, to, to be in it one place. Well, and I feel so lucky because, you know, we're blessed in that we work in a field that doesn't stay the same. The research is always changing and the way we do things are, is always changing, which is exciting because we're able to get better. You know, we're able to help people get better. Um, and so that has always excited me, which is probably why I'm doing what I'm doing now in my business <laughs> um, because I love science. <laughs> because that science background, that seed of, of really wanting to understand how things work you know, the basis of how things work. So you came out of college and you didn't open Ascension Fitness right away. How long did you work in the industry before you opened your business? I worked in the industry for about 12 years. I worked at a big box facility. I also had worked at some smaller personal training studios. Um, the last eight years before opening my business, I really was working at a big box facility and was on the leadership team there and was in charge of hiring other trainers. So I had built some skill sets around helping me, you know, as be pre as prepared as you can to open your own business, which you're never fully prepared for, I don't think. <laughs> um, but, you know, there definitely were some flaws in that model. And I found myself getting frustrated because I couldn't serve people in the way that I wanted to serve them. And ultimately, that's really what led me to make the decision. It wasn't about making more money because you and I both know that when you open a business, you're making a lot less money. Um, but it was just about being able to serve people better in the way that I thought they deserved um, to be cared for. 
And, you know, I, you, I was laughing as you said that, you know, no one's ever really prepared <laughs> as, as they open their own business, kind of like becoming a mom, right? You're only yes. prepared <laughs> if you don't know what you don't know yet. Uh, it, it's sort of like stepping off that cliff and, and hoping that it works. But, but what was the essence of what you wanted to do that you weren't able to do at the big box gym? How did you want to serve people better? So I had been, um, I had created my program. Uh, I had just had my second child. And so I started that specialty program, my mommy movement program and developed it and really wanted, it wasn't something in me that I was like, oh, you know, some people have that entrepreneurial spirit. Like I know I'm going to own my own business one day. That wasn't necessarily the case for me, but I kept running into roadblocks as to why this program wasn't going to work. You know, the marketing, getting people in the door. Um, I, I just kept getting a lot of no's and resistance. And I knew in my gut that this is where I wanted to go. So if you're going to tell me that this isn't going to work here, then I need to go and do it the way that I want to do it. So really the, the impetus was that mommy movement program, wanting to get out there and, and offer a program that was going to help new mothers get their life back, not just their body, but in some ways their lives back after yes. becoming a mom. Yes. And in, in a lot of ways, you were experiencing that in your own life. Most definitely. You know, that you said you opened Ascension when your second child was born. You're now a mom of three. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think that's important. We'll talk about that as we go on today about, you know, how, how your outside life kind of folds into your business, especially when it becomes your own business as well. So you started Ascension Fitness, and it's, it's a small studio in, yeah. in New Orleans, just outside New Orleans, yeah, and you exactly. started helping moms. And, and what did you learn in that process? Oh, my God. <laughs> in, in How long is this show? <laughs> <laughs> um, I learned a lot about myself. You know, I learned that I had a lot more grit than I gave myself credit for. I learned that um, I didn't know that as a young mom, I would have 70 or 80 hour work weeks in me, but because this, I was so passionate about it, it, it didn't really occur to me until I counted it out. Thanks to my husband for saying, Hey, like we need you at home. Um, <laughs> you know, you're working 70 hours. What the heck's going on? Um, I, I learned a lot about grit. I learned a lot about having to ask for help, which is still something that I struggle with a lot. Um, and I think I learned a lot about really knowing in my gut because of the experiences that I've had in the past eight years of owning a business that people are going to come and go into your life as a business owner. But as long as you are plugged into the business, um, you're going to be okay. You know, things will work out. That's a really interesting point, actually. And, and I think it speaks to that line between personal and business. You know, a lot of times people walk in and out and, and when they walk out, it feels very personal. And, and that's yeah. not just in business, that's in life yeah. because people come and go in our, in our lives. Our friends come and go, people that we've met, people that are close for a while aren't always in that position. And, and we tend to take it very personally. But as a business owner, learning that that's just part of the evolution of, of 
life and of the business and not taking it personally is, is a hard lesson learned. Very. Because what we do is so personal. And we get to know people as our, our clients on a very personal level. And to work in that sacred space together, you have to get to know your coworkers, you know, and employees or independent contractors in that same way. So, yeah, I, I would say that that is still a struggle for sure for me. But I'm much better at having my meltdown moment and then moving forward. <laughs> Which is another thing that you learn, not just as a business owner, but as a mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think some of those things that you just said that you've learned as, as part of your business are probably things that we have learned as mothers as well. You know, that you probably have more grit than you realize that you can be up on zero sleep <laughs> for longer than you yeah. think you can. And that, uh, that there are times when it really hurts and it's personal, um, but you, you charge on, you continue yeah. on despite that. So um, I, I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of interesting just as we're talking how the parallel between being a mother and being a business owner keeps showing itself um, because you can't take yourself out of your business. You are your business. Yes. Agreed. Good perspective there, Cal. <laughs> As always. Well, just, just <laughs> listening to you and I, you know, it's always interesting when you get a chance to talk to somebody in this format, you know, where you're really just trying to delve into some of the background um, that, that those pieces start coming together in the puzzle. You know, and and, and mm-hmm. I like, I like being able to see how they fit. So Ascension Fitness has been in business for what, 10 years? It'll be, no, it'll be eight years in August. Eight years in August. And your, your business model has evolved and grown. Uh, but have you maintained that, that strong emphasis on women and helping new moms? Yes, I would say um, helping women. Um, obviously, I do have a couple of male clients, but our niche is really helping women. And I say that because for probably the first six years of my business really focused on moms. And it's not just moms that face the issues that I'm really helping women with now. There are many women who haven't had babies who are also dealing with these same types of quality of life issues. And so let's talk about that because that's really a a passion that has evolved. You didn't realize that was going to be the passion, did you? The uh, the whole pelvic floor dysfunction and what that means. Let's for the listeners who who don't know what that means and 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 uh, just to catch them up on our conversation here. What is pelvic floor dysfunction? When did you realize it was an issue for women in general? And then we'll talk about what you're doing about that. Sure. So I should probably start off with my background in terms of I'm passionate about this because after having my third baby, uh, this is my life. This is what I deal with. And I am, um, I have stage two pelvic organ prolapse. So I understand the physical and emotional things that come with that diagnosis. And I have discovered a way to help improve those symptoms. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, just saying the word, what I've noticed is pelvis and vagina freak people out. Right. I mean, it's kind of silly because these are just like anatomical terms. We're not, you know, getting nasty, but a lot of women just struggle with that. So the moment you say pelvic floor dysfunction, 
in their head, it's like, oh my gosh, like I've got this major gynecological thing going on and I don't want to hear that or deal with that. But all pelvic floor dysfunction is, is really it's a, um, I would call it a muscle sequencing or a muscle activation issue. And the muscles that we're specifically referring to are really the ones that support the foundation of our bodies. So they're the ones that connect one ischial tuberosity to the other, or your sit bones, anterior side of the pelvis to the back side of the pelvis. So it's that sling of musculature that really holds your guts up. So when we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction, it's simply that, you know, it would be like if I'm asking you to do a bicep curl, but your bicep muscles won't turn on. So you have to do this crazy thing, elevating your shoulder to get your elbow to bend. It's the same thing, except we're really talking about those muscles in the pelvis. So they're not firing or functioning properly. As with any chronic dysfunction comes other symptoms. Um, And so the symptoms vary based on the woman, but the symptoms can be urinary incontinence, rectal incontinence, which is a more severe progressed dysfunction. But a lot of times this manifests as hip and back pain front of the hip, side of the hip, SI joint or back pain, as well as women use the restroom more than 10 times a day. But the first thing they tell me is, Jen, I drink a lot of water. I'm here to set the record straight. You can drink a lot of water. If you're peeing more than 10 times a day, you've got probably some pelvic floor dysfunction happening. The other thing would be if you, maybe you're not going 10 times a day, but they might feel like as soon as they feel like they need to use the restroom, they better get there quickly. That's an urgency issue. And again, that is encompassing of pelvic floor dysfunction. A little bit of statistics because I'm about the science. We're talking about a very large population here. The last time I pulled the numbers for the U.S. Census, statistically, it's one out of every three women that are dealing with this. That's over 52 million women. It's a lot. It is. It's a lot. And, And I think a lot of women don't even recognize that it's a problem. They think it's part of getting older. They think it's part of, they've had children. It just kind of comes with the territory. Right. And it isn't just women, right? It it does affect men as well. I have, I have trained several men with this as well. Most definitely. Um, Yeah. It's interesting. I'm fascinated with the backstory. So my own um, story as to how I think I got, pelvic organ prolapse, um, I know that I set myself up for that by being a dancer and an athlete from a very young age and having asthma. Those two things combined without proper training for my pelvic floor, definitely from a biomechanical perspective, really set some of this up. So I'm always telling moms that have kids with asthmatics They really need to make sure that they do some breath work and some pelvic floor strengthening because that's a chronic downward pressure with all that coughing that weakens those muscles. So that's just one of the many things, gymnastics, cheerleading, all of these things. There was a study that was done a couple years ago on a middle school cheering squad. 100% of the girls had at least one symptom pelvic floor dysfunction. And again, because it's so prevalent, people don't realize it's a problem. They think it's just another thing we have to deal with in our life and they work on ways to get around it. But I'm thinking about listeners who 
may just be hearing this term for the first time or, or may, you know, be having those aha moments like, wait, she's talking about something that I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about this, how someone knows that they have it. You kind of talked a little bit about the symptoms, but just talk to people that might be listening who haven't really thought about this deeply. Um, what kinds of things do they need to know? How, how will they know? What should they do about it? What would you share with some of those? So I would say the pelvic floor dysfunction is something that can be actually corrected those symptoms in a fairly short period of time um, with maybe stop doing some of the things that you're doing. So my top three tips is a lot of moms in particular, or I will tell you nurses fall into this, is when they use the restroom, they push their pee out. And if you are one of those moms that's like, I'm going to get my 30 seconds to myself, and you're pushing your pee out, you actually aren't completely emptying your bladder. And so that sets up some of these symptoms in terms of urgency and frequency. Same thing from a bowel perspective. If you're trying to rush, you know, guys, my boys and my husband spend a lot of time in the restroom and sometimes I don't know what they're doing in there, but they have it right from the perspective That's of another episode. Yeah. They're not, you know, forcing it out. They're not trying to take a poop in 30 seconds. Right. So there is something to one of the things that we tell all of our clients is squatty potty. We sell them. We recommend them. It is science proven that by sitting in a squatting position, you are not forcing, which again is that downward negative pressure that's going to exacerbate symptoms. Um, So simply, you know, even my moms, if they don't want to purchase that, I'm like, get your kids a little stool and put your feet up on a stool. When you're trying to evacuate your bowels, you're going to feel better and it's not going to be as um, difficult for some women. That's my second tip. And then my third one is if you're a Spanx wearer, you are really uh, putting a lot of stress on your pelvic floor. Because if you're wearing those compressive garments, which are very fashionable, and you see them like you have a baby, let's, you know, wear this for six weeks and get your flat stomach again. The problem is that it's a, it's a diffusion of pressure. And that pressure has to go somewhere. It's sort of like I describe it as you know, if you're trying to get your skinny jeans on and you're sucking in your stomach, that fat and that stuff doesn't disappear. That's just a diffusion of pressure and it has to go somewhere. It's the same thing with those spanks or compressive garments, that pressure is going downward and that is causing an increase in your symptoms. Really, really good thoughts, those three tips. And and I hope the listeners are maybe taking notes uh, on some of these things. So women experience all of those things, you know, and, and, and men too, um, but, but we'll focus on women for a minute because one of the things that you and I have talked about through the years, Jen, is how it is prevalent. These things happen. Um, people experience these things, but the medical community doesn't address it fully. Right. Talk a little bit about your experience with the medical community and women coming off in particular postpartum um, yes. and how they're, how they're given their, their exit orders and, and some of the things you want to do about that. Yeah. I think, you know, from my own experience of having to figure out myself 
after even just my first birth that I had um, diastasis recti, which at the time was not being talked about at all. Now there are more programs and I think people are more knowledgeable and educated on what that is. But for those that aren't, it's that separation of the abdominals. It's frustrating because women really aren't given the information that they need. Um, And so one of my goals is to really get some of those American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecology guidelines changed. And that just being that women are given specific exercises like breath work, how to breathe properly, surprised how many don't know how to do that, Um, but also where to go if they're having symptoms of pelvic heaviness, all of the things that we discussed before. Um, My experience with the OBGYNs, my my uh, own OBGYN after having my second son was, Jen, this is normal. I see this all the time. And I'm like, well, that's not normal. And why wouldn't you give women information about what they can do to help rectify the problem? But I would say, you know, what we're doing for women when I see them is also making referrals to other practitioners that can help them. So everyone if they go to their OB and they kind of get blown off with these symptoms, I always say you need to go and see an OBGYN urologist or the rectal prolapse piece. They would actually need to go see an OBGYN colorectal uh, professional because they're, they're both dealing with one end and other. But that is someone who would not ignore them, who would hear them. Now, what they're going to prescribe is surgery because that's how they make their money. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which goes and because back it's an easy problems. fix. I mean, I say that in quotes. Yeah. Because surgery is never easy, but in some ways, it you know, it's a it's a way to solve it quickly. Yes. And you say there's actually other ways to solve it. I 100% say, especially seeing the data with the study, the initial round that we've got, that there is a way to minimize. I am not saying that I nor anyone else can actually cure it. I still have stage two pelvic organ prolapse, but I do not have the symptoms that I had even just two years ago, even just a year ago, doing what I'm, I'm doing now. Um, you mentioned the study in there. So talk a little bit about the study that you're actually in the midst of doing as we speak. So I am blessed to work with um, another woman by the name of Christina Walsh, who owns her own physical therapy. Uh, company and uh, is based out of my studio. And we are doing a study together with the University of New Orleans, trying to uh, really prove that the protocols and I would call them lifestyle interventions that we're asking women to make are having a positive effect on their pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic organ prolapse symptoms. And we just ran the very first round um, earlier this year, and all of the data tracks that, yes, there's significant improvement in their symptoms and their mindset. That's a piece that we haven't even talked about. We've talked about the physical part of this. Uh, But just to to wrap that up, the study that you're doing is really, it's a a long-term study. You're you're talking a couple of years that you'll be- really delving into this and getting the statistics so that you have something that's a very viable solution. Yes. And that really, this really came about because Christina and I had approached several physicians and have gotten resistance, right? Because 
it kind of in one way is taking money out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. And we were like so excited thinking these people would get on board very quickly because we can help their patients get better. And and, and just to add to that, because I think you're right, there is always a a dollar sign there. But the other part of that too, is I would say that, that the doctors that are based in science as well are, are looking for that proof, statistical proof. Yes. I would agree with that. Most definitely. And so this gives us two legs to stand on that. We have the proof. Yeah, it's really exciting. I've been excited about it ever since you started talking about doing it because I think there is such a need for women to understand that they don't have to live with this, that there yeah. are solutions that don't require surgery that can can help them with some of these issues. And as we just started talking about, not just the physical, but also there there is an emotional and mental component to that. Talk about some of the experiences and some of the things that you've seen from the mental emotional aspect of pelvic floor dysfunction. You know, some of these symptoms that I didn't talk about are things like pelvic pain and um, simple things like when you're on your cycle, not having the ability to wear a tampon, right? I mean, obviously those things impact your relationship with your partner tremendously. Um, which in turn impacts your self-esteem. Many women, myself included in the beginning, started planning my days and my trips around where's the restroom, right? Which is a quality of life issue. But I think much, much deeper than that is the emotional root of us as women is in our womb. And There is a piece, a common thread among every single woman that I have worked with of that sense of worthiness as a woman. And I, you know, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. I'm a huge fan of Louise Hay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, the emotional and the physical components, the lines are blurred. And I think that some of that dysfunction really starts on that emotional level Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't minimize some of the other physical things that we discussed as terms of impact and chronic coughing and all of those things. But um, many of these women have dealt with some type of sexual trauma as well, or a very uh, traumatic birth experience. Yeah, there's, there's that definite peace that is a part of this whole thing that I feel like if not addressed, they don't get better physically. I I love that we're talking about this because, uh, you know, you and I have had the conversation about the line between mind and body is, is not there. They are actually one in the same and, and what happens mentally and emotionally in can manifest physically, what happens physically can manifest mentally and emotionally, because that line is very blurred. There isn't uh, a line. It's just where, where you're able to see some of the, the, the backstory, as you put it, you know, the, the puzzle pieces coming together for someone. You can't just look at one aspect of it. You really need to look at all of those aspects to truly understand why it's happening and then begin to address the solutions so that you can help the person feel better 
on all levels. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, and I think about that, and I think about all the women that I've helped as a, as a trainer. Um, you know, everything it, it, it's as as you know, seemingly superficial as when you're doing exercise and you can't pull, you become incontinent. You know, exercising incontinence, uh, and, and how embarrassing that is. So there's an emotional embarrassment, and yes. and and then it goes all the way down through those layers of, like you said, self worth and in meaningful. Um, connection to your body and to your life and to who you are as a, as a woman or a man, um, because I don't think it's exclusive to women. We just are focusing on that because that's, that's where your emphasis is. But, um, you know, all those layers connect. They do. And it's honestly, a lot of times I'm the one that's helping them connect those dots because it is so subconsciously embedded um this isn't you know this isn't something that is surface um that women are even thinking about that there is a connection there um but it is the place that starts the healing the quickest Talk about yourself with that because you have experienced all of this not just with your clients but personally um, share a little bit about how you have looked at those components within yourself and, and worked on those pieces within yourself as you've dealt with the physical issues that you've experienced. I can actually tell you the moment that I started really noticing healing. And Christina is a big part of that because I brought Christina into my business because I was actually looking for someone to help me rehab after having Cooper, my last uh, baby. And I was on her table and she, um, the work that she does is specialized, um, hands-on work. So I was laying on her table and she manipulates the fascia and she was helping decompress my pelvic organs because there's a lot of pressure down there. And I remember just being overwhelmed, like, with sadness and crying and breaking down and feeling like this is just how it's going to be. And I just need to accept this. Like I will never be the person that I was before. And like, just, it was like, I was mourning a death of sorts. And Christina just kind of in her way that she has about her said, but my goodness, look at what your body is still doing for you after all of that. Look at what you can still do. And it was like this light bulb. I had been filled with hatred and feeling betrayed by my body. And it was like, oh my goodness, you're so right. I can still get up and walk around and pick my kid up and, you know, do some things that I wasn't able to do initially after having uh, Cooper, but I, where is my gratitude for what this body has been through and is still here for me, still supporting me on this journey of life. And really it was in that moment that I flipped that switch that a lot of my symptoms began to improve because I had already been doing some of those pelvic core exercises. Mm -hmm. But it was like I was cycling. 
because that emotional piece hadn't been put into play. Because I was doing those exercises and feeling angry that I had to do it. And then I couldn't work out the way that I had before. And um, so that's, you know, how I know firsthand that it's a big piece because once I shifted to that and my language about my body, so, you know, I love to run. I did many adventure races, half marathons. Um, That's just not a kind activity to my body. Could I do that? I could choose to do that, but I choose not to because it's important that I am kind to myself and respectful of what my body likes. That is such a different way to speak to yourself. And that's some of the things that I try to teach, you know, my clients. I, I, I love all of that. I love the breakthrough moment, um, the moment when the, the switch flipped from yes. what you didn't want and the fear and the anger and resentment and everything that stemmed from that fear of never being what you were to yes. focus on what you really have and, and the recognition of the gratitude for what you, what you can do and what you can accomplish. I love that. But I also think there is a piece in there of recognizing what our body is and, and what it, what it does give to us. Um, and, and, and an acceptance of it, because I think, and again, I'll focus on women for intents and purposes of this discussion, but, um, I think as women, would you agree that we are often socialized by our physical body? We're socialized yes. to what is, you know, quote unquote, beautiful, what is acceptable, what is uh, sexy or hot yes. um, by our physical body. And there is this unrealistic expectation that is a seed planted very young that oh, we continue to exacerbate um, as a culture and, and as women, as we get older. And, and, and the, there is a very big gap between that expectation and the reality. And the bigger that gap, the more the anger and resentment build up. And yeah. the more anger and resentment build up in some ways, symbolically is its own kind of downward pressure, right? It, you know, symbolically it's, it's that internal like tightening of everything because yes. we're, we're, we're fighting it versus um, the recognition. The flow through. That's exactly right. So uh, I'm kind of just obviously just kind of seeing this in a, in a new light as we're talking. You've seen this. Talk a little bit about how you see all of those pieces. It's a new life. I don't know. You know, I'm so passionate about this because it's changed my life. It's changed many of the lives of the women that I work with that it is okay to be kind to yourself. It is okay to set a new bar. Um, it's okay to ask for what you need from your partner. I mean, there's just so many levels, you know, I mean, I know for my generation and my mother's, I mean, uh, you know, you don't talk about sex, you know, mm-hmm. so you sure as heck don't talk about it with your partner. It's just something that you do and participate in, right? So, I mean, it's opening up conversations and making it okay to talk even about that particular body part. I mean, 
it's just, it's so huge. I, I don't even know where to, how to go about even beginning to answer that question. It infiltrates every facet of a woman's life. Yeah, it really does. And it, and it goes to what you said at the beginning, you know, the, physiological component that the musculature that holds everything else up is also symbolically the part of us that holds everything else up. That's right. And as women, we often have to hold everything, not just ourselves, but everyone around us. That's part of what we do as women, as mothers, as wives, as daughters, um, you know, we're, 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 we're the glue. We're the glue. Yeah. We're the glue. Um, let's kind of take that as, as a way of looking at, uh, you know, the, the, the glue of being a mom of three, the glue of being a business owner, the glue of being a coach for, you know, multiple fitness professionals all over the world, the, the glue of, of holding all of this together in your life. And, and I want to talk about that because I know some of the people that are listening are women who also wear those many hats and hold up a lot of stuff in their life. How have you gone through that journey of, of, you know, becoming a person who can keep all those plates spinning and, and balance in, in some way, all of those components of your life? Yeah, I think the longer that you do anything, the better that you get at it. Right. So I, still struggle with that tremendously. Um, I think that you have to recognize, you know, in my Virgo brain, in order to be good at something, I had to be good at all those things at the same time. And if I wasn't, then I, I was failing and I wasn't doing a good job. And the reality is there's just not enough energy to be good or great at all of those things all of the time. And as mothers, we know that there are certain times where our children need us more, our husband needs us more, our business needs us more, our sisters, our friends need us more, uh, the folks that we coach need us more. And so there's that constant ebb and flow of managing it. And that's why I love some of the tools that we use in terms of focusing on our weekly goals or our daily goals. Um, you know, for me, the shift as a business owner happened. Um, I know I said earlier, I worked a lot of hours and my husband and my children needed me and I was neglecting them. Um, and it's, it's something so simple, but it really changed my focus is when I got my kids' school calendar, I didn't put anything on my schedule until I put all of their holidays, all of the special things that were going to happen for them because I had been missing things because I had appointments with clients and things already scheduled. Um, I also put in my calendar a date night when my husband was in town. Those were the first things that went in my calendar. And then I blocked the other things around that. And as simple, I mean, when I did that, I was like, God, why didn't I do this a long time ago? But, you know, my business was my baby. And um, once I started doing that, that made a big difference in feeling not guilty, you know, um, seeing the joy in my kids' faces at me actually being at their events and doing things with them and spending more time with them. My husband obviously feeling more loved because it was a night where we didn't have kids pulling on us and we weren't talking business and we're just being together. Um, 
And I think having the confidence as my business has evolved to say, you know what, here's when my energy flows the best. My energy is best in the morning. So I'm only going to see clients now from 5.30 to 1, Monday through Friday. Not going to work weekends because I'm not missing my kids' stuff. And when I committed to that, I didn't lose any of my clients. And it was a very freeing thing. And then I had afternoons for, you know, business, admin stuff, coaching, um, kids, doctor's appointments, or any of those things. So it, it's an evolution. And obviously, you know, firsthand, because we're friends, that it doesn't always go to plan, for sure. <laughs> um, it's not going to plan today. <laughs> I have a kid that's home, sick. Um, but, you know, that's life. And I think you just grow to accept that and do your best to, uh, you know, deal with that roller coaster. And you brought up a couple of really good points. One of them being that prioritizing is important. You know, think about what you value the most and make that your priority. So time with your kids, time with your husband is, is the biggest priority. That's the essence, the, the real kernel of your life, you know, the core of what gives you fulfillment yes. and putting that first. But the, the runoff of that is the second thing that you mentioned, which is learning that that's okay and not to hold the guilt. Yes. So many women feel guilty doing that. What do you think that's from? I think that goes back to being the, the way that we're raised. You know, I mean, I know I was raised as a fixer, you know, and um, as a pleaser. You know, and so it doesn't feel okay to say no to things. Um, And, you know, the expectation that society places, you know, you watch some of these commercials. I mean, I love Kelly Ripa, but there were like these appliance commercials where like, you know, she's on the news and she's baking cookies and she's doing games with her kids at night. And then she's like going out for her hot date with her husband, like, we're supposed to do it all and look glamorous and beautiful, by the way, you know, as we're doing all this and like, it's not attainable or achievable. So there's all of that mm-hmm. that I think goes to that. Yeah. You know, we, we, as women tend to put a lot of pressure, but, but culture and society tend to put that pressure too. And, and if we accept that, it, it just puts more pressure on us. Um, yeah. Guilt is a, is an interesting Oh, it's an interesting animal. Energy. I would say, I don't think it's an emotion. It's an energy. And it's, it's the story somewhere between what is and what you're telling yourself it is. And, you know, the further the distance, the deeper the guilt. So I, I love that you have come to terms with, with that as I've watched you and, and as I have as well, um, just through life, you know, learning how to, to manage those kinds of things. The other point that you made that I want to to emphasize a little bit too is that sense that you don't have to be great at everything, you know, and that's okay. That it's okay to focus on one thing and and really delve into that. And and the other things, maybe they're not at your 100% level, but that's okay. Yes. That's a hard spot to get to. That took me a while. And I still struggle with that. Yeah, I suppose as we all do, but I think it's it's a good note. And I and again, I think of women who are listening who are 
trying to spin all the plates and trying to keep them all perfectly balanced and spinning at the same, you know, level at all at the same time. And, um, recognizing that that's really not life. Life is when some of them are wobbling a little bit. Um, and, and one of them may, may be going really well. And then the next minute, you know, another one is going well and, and that one's wobbling. That's the, the essence of life. Well, and all the growth happens with the wobbles mm-hmm. and the falls, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's the acknowledgement of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't grow if everything's perfect. That's right. So as we come to the end of this, you know what, you and I could talk for hours and hours <laughs> and always wish we had more time to do that. But um, one of the things I like to ask every, everyone that comes on this show is, is to talk a little bit about the, the name of the show, which is It Just Takes One. And I'd love to just get your thoughts on what that phrase means to you. I think for me what I hear over and over from people is many times I'm the first one that took the time to just listen, that took the time to invest energy into not just their physical being, but their emotional uh, being. And really um, it just takes one person to care about another person to really change their life change their thought process, change their body. Um, One act of kindness, one act of simply lending an ear and validating, I see you, I hear you. That's where it starts. I love that. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. Yep. Which is why I love you. I love you as well. (laughs) Jen, thank you so much. Uh, Let's just leave listeners with some information on how to get in touch with you because they may be interested in learning more about some of the things we talked about. Um, You do have a book and uh, just mentioned that. You have a book, but it's outdated. Don't don't give them that because a new one's going to be coming with updated information. But if they want to get the one that's out there now, it's uh, available on Amazon. It is not available on Amazon. It's on Lulu. They could go to jenlorman.com and um, check that out. Awesome. But I encourage them to hang tight. <laughs> Second edition is, is underway. Yes. And if they want to reach you at, your, at Ascension or through, yeah. through your website? Honestly, what I would love is if they follow the Ascension Fitness Facebook page, if they're interested in more information, um, Christina is getting ready to come back from maternity leave and we have a weekly Facebook live show that we do called Tighten Your Tinkler, where we talk all about these specific issues that women are facing. It's absolutely one of my favorite Facebook live shows. I love when Jen and Christina get on there, Tighten Your Tinkler, it's called, and they lay it out on the line and you can, you can learn from them because they always teach about something specific that, they're, that they want to show in, in that episode, but they're also available live to answer questions. So definitely yes. uh, get on and watch that. I, I strongly recommend it. It's, it's a great show. Thanks, Cal. Well, Jen, thank you so much for for coming on. Thanks for sharing your passion and your excitement over what's happening. And I wish you all the best as you continue the research and continuing making a difference and an impact on the lives of women and men all over the world. 
Thank you so much, Kelly. Same to you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Of course, you can hear how much I love talking with Jen. <laughs> but what I really love is when anyone starts talking about something they are passionate about. When Jen was talking about her work with women, you could hear her passion resonating in her voice. If you had been able to see her, you would have seen that her light was shining. Jen is doing some incredible work, and the study she is conducting is groundbreaking. But her passion is contagious. If any of you heard her describing something that resonated with you, I urge you to follow up with her. Maybe you heard the symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction being described and could relate to what she was saying. Or maybe you're a person who wears a lot of hats and knew what she meant when she talked about keeping the plates spinning. But no matter what you heard, if you resonated with what she's saying, please follow up and look her up online. Jen is the real thing. In fact, one of the things I love most about her is her authenticity. She tells it like it is, and she lives it like it is. And because she's so genuine, and her kindness and caring are so heartfelt, she is making a difference in so many lives. I also encourage you to check out her Tighten Your Tinkler show on Facebook. I guarantee you, you will love that show, and you will learn something every single episode. Thank you for joining me for this episode of It Just Takes One. And look for our next episode, a conversation with one of the most passionate and the most motivational people that I know, my friend, Rick Ivone. But for now, it's time to turn this back to you. I encourage you to go out and be the one. If you liked this conversation and you want to hear more intriguing stories, then subscribe to the It Just Takes One podcast on iTunes. That way you'll be notified when new episodes arrive.